Chapter 7. And the abyss gazes back into you. There's a, I don't know how to put it, a meaning behind what he's doing. It isn't just mindless slaughter. It's thought out, planned through. The Leeds and the Jacobis were both taken on full moon nights. There's power there, for some. Power to draw on. He's planning this to some mad lunar cycle. And it's personal. So close to him. Something he was denied for a long time. That's why it was so brutal at first. The Jacobis are less... He searched for the word. Subtle than the Leeds. The Leeds are a culmination of years upon years of holding back. It's pain, Jack. It's raw pain in its purest form. And love. Just not love as we know it, or want it. Heard you talk like this before, Will. The room was empty, but for them. A rarity. Will had taken advantage and was now regretting how lost he'd allowed himself to become. There was a pregnant pause above the boardroom malaise of papers. Laptops and half-finished bad takeout. Jack Crawford stared at him across the tabletop. Will wasn't extending the same courtesy. Don't start on that with me, Will said, eyes down as he continued to root through the papers. Hobbs got to you, and it started like this. You saw it through his eyes. You used to tell us how he felt when he did it. Then you pumped him with a full clip of lead and ended up in the asylum for a month. Not happening this time. Can I get that in writing? Jack didn't look amused, despite the ribbing. You sympathized with him. Empathized. There's a difference. A big damn difference. And I'm being careful with this, all right? Doesn't sound like careful to me. Well, when I start spouting crazy shit and offing whole families, maybe then you can stop me, huh? In the meantime, do you want this guy caught, or don't you? Yeah, Jack Crawford sighed, as Will Graham looked him defiantly in the eye. The thought of Will Graham slipping into the monsters they had hunted had been a constant worry from years before, that Jack Crawford had hoped he'd never have to deal with again. He wished to hell it hadn't come back to haunt him. Yeah, I think we all do. Let's keep going. There was something in the way time moved, like a long string stretched out, thin and friable. Every moment seemed as if it would snap under the pressure, yet it just carried on stretching, again and again, until there seemed there was no capacity left for pulling it any further. And it did. And it did again. And again. It had been a full day's work that seemed as much as a week's worth, coming up with some sort of plan for the ad section of the Tatler. Lecter puts his first message to the Tooth Fairy and the personal ads in the National Enquirer, Jack had said to the team. Nice and open, but then a crazy ramble and the Enquirer's nothing new. It was just lucky we caught it. It was posited that Lecter was trying to catch this guy's attention, Will had said, sitting at the corner of the table. But I think we can scrap that now? He'd looked to Jack and waited for the nod. Lecter doesn't pander, so that means the Tooth Fairy has managed to contact him before, unnoticed. We can thank Chilton for that. We're not here to play the blame game. Jack had butted in. Will had wished he could roll his eyes without being fired. The Inquirer was a good choice. Zeller had spoken up before Will could get his oar in. Nice and neutral. Nice and statewide. Unfortunately, that doesn't narrow down our search area. Neither does our new target, the Tatler. But we've been in touch with the advertising department, and they've agreed to work with us. Now they had something better than a stab in the dark a way to communicate, a media they knew the Tooth Fairy would be watching like a hawk, waiting for the pearls of wisdom from the great doctor to filter down. This was their chance, so it had to be something believable, something that Lecter would write, done just as he would perform it. With Lecter, it was always a performance. Eyes had grown heavy, fingers stained with printer's ink, hours under fluorescent lighting bit at itchy headaches. Will missed Ellie. He missed getting up in the morning to feed the strays. He hoped Ralph from work wasn't run ragged looking after them. He hoped Jeff would still be there when he got back that night. He hoped everything would turn out okay. Then the team had hit on it. The only thing desperate people could within a strict time limit. A message from Lecter, asking for a mail drop. A chance to catch him out in the open. This tooth fairy. This monster. Will didn't like it, as such. But he'd run with it if it had a chance. Too easy, 
Too obvious, his mind shouted at him. Lecter would never be that obvious. You know that, the voice reminded. But then, you know him better than anyone. Maybe others can still be fooled. Instead, he'd nodded to Jack and watched as the man left the room to put in the order to the print roll deadline for tomorrow's issue. Then the phone had rung at the switchboard, then up to the department reception, and then along to the cream-colored phone sitting at Crawford's desk. Will could hear Janet as they all stood up, clearing the mess of papers and reference material and takeout boxes and half-finished coffees. Special Agent Crawford's office? I'm not sure if he's in. Let me see... Wait, I'll be glad to find him. Who's calling, please? Then she had leaned back in her chair, tipping precariously, hand-waving tightly to grab his attention, her face seriously set. Will had jogged through, a quiver of interest bouncing around his already high-strung nerves. Janet wasn't one to be easily flapped. When she clamped her hand over the receiver and said, He's just said, Tell Graham it's the Pilgrim. Will thought he might have been momentarily elated and petrified. That's what Lecter had called him, in his message in the Inquirer. Mr. Pilgrim. Could the guy be this reckless, he thought, to phone the FBI and taunt? If he could keep him talking, then they could find him, and the mail drop and the visits to Lecter and leaving home would be worth it, and this could end. Get Crawford on the tap, was all he could whisper, before taking the receiver and sitting down as Janet ran from the office. He knows your name. He wants to get you, just as much as you want to get him back. Will shut out the voice from his mind and closed his eyes. He took a deep breath and held it. Time to take the plunge, kiddo. Will removed his hand from the receiver and spoke. This is Will Graham, he said calmly, yet with a hint of believable irritation, as if he'd been interrupted during something important. Can I help you? The low-level, muffled laughter that followed sounded off. The voice was husky, definitely male, but strange. Will wondered if they were using a voice coder. I expect you can. Could I ask who's calling, please? Didn't your secretary tell you? No, but she's called me out of a meeting, sir, and... He looked up as Crawford rushed silently past the door, heading to the next room, followed closely by Zeller. Before Crawford flitted out of sight, he lifted his hand and held up two fingers. Will got the message. Two minutes. Keep him talking for two. He checked the clock and carried on. And I'm really quite... If you tell me you won't talk to Mr. Pilgrim, I'll hang up right now. Yes or no? Mr. Pilgrim, Will sighed, trying to draw out as much time as he could with every syllable without sounding off. Keep him on. Keep him on. If you have some problem I'm equipped to deal with, I'll be glad to talk with you. I think you have the problem, Mr. Graham. The thought of it made him ill, even beneath the excitement and the fear. He knows you and he wants you. He knows you and he'll kill you. Kill everyone in your broken little family like he did with the Leeds. Like he did with the Jacobis. <clears throat> I'm sorry, he said, clearing his throat. I don't understand you. You've been a busy boy, haven't you? The caller asked. Too busy to stay on the phone unless you state your business. My business is the same place as yours. Atlanta and Brimingham. Business in stripping homes of well-worn families and children of their lives to reflect the monstrous image of a sick man. Will felt his hand tighten on the phone, even as he leaned into the voice as it spoke. Both parts terrified him, the disgust and the growing affiliation, even as his pulse quickened. Do you know something about that? Soft laughter, again with the hint of an oddity. Will looked up to the clock on the wall and watched as the hand slid towards the one-minute mark. Know something about it. Are you interested in Mr. Pilgrim? I'll hang up if you lie. Yes, of course I'm interested. But see, I get a lot of calls, and most of them are from people who say they know things. The second hand continued round at a snail's pace, and Will wished it faster. One eleven, one twelve, one thirteen. You'd be surprised how many pretenders there are out there. Come on, Graham. You can nail this fox. Keep him talking. Keep him damn talking. Pander to him. Make him feel special. Powerful. Will knew how to do that. Talk to them for a few minutes and you can tell they don't have the capacity to even understand what's going on. Do you? I'll tell you what. 
the voice said slickly, condescendingly, teasingly. You tell me one thing you know about Mr. Pilgrim, and maybe I'll tell you whether you're right or not. Let's get straight who we're talking about here. We're talking about Mr. Pilgrim. How do I know Mr. Pilgrim has done anything I'd be interested in? Has he? Will looked up as Janet walked carefully into the room, put a scrap of paper down on the desk. Chicago phone booth. PD scrambling. Will's pulse twitched. Dear God, they had him. Just keep him talking. Let's say yes, the voice said. Will frowned. Are you Mr. Pilgrim? I don't think I'll tell you that. Maybe you don't deserve to know it. Why would you say that? You're a coward, the voice said. Will's frown deepened. What sort of coward abandons his soulmate at the first sign of trouble? I. Will had to swallow down the lump in his throat to ease the extra tension that had suddenly sprung up. I'm not sure I follow you. The poor doctor, all alone, left in a cage. An artist, such a beautiful artist, and you stole all his tools. That's not. Will could see Alana rushing into the room next door. Then she reappeared with a headset. He knew she was listening in. You're a coward, Mr. Graham. You should admit it to yourself. He paused, swallowing. You can stop this, Will. You can stop all this. Yes, I am. You are what? He could see Alana rolling her hand, telling him to keep it up. A coward. I'm a coward for abandoning him. The words stung, far deeper than they should have. Yes. Yes, you are. You don't deserve what I have for you. Oh, God, don't hang up. Please don't hang up. What would make me deserving? Hmm. You know what I have. You want it, but you can never have it. I know. How about you describe exactly what you think he did to Miss Leeds, and maybe I'll tell you if you're right or not. A jolt of illness into his nerve-wracked system. A reminder of how close this had all become. I can't, he thought. Can't because it's so close sometimes I think when I see the pictures. I can taste it and feel it and need it. The same slickness of the skin soaked in blood through my powder-lined hands. I don't want to do that. Goodbye. Will's heart leapt, but he could still hear breathing on the other end. Wait. I can't go into that until I know. Then a sound on the other end. Loud and abrasive. A bang as of car doors slamming. Voices in the scuffle of material. Will jumped in his chair at the sudden clang as the receiver fell and smacked against the inside of the booth. Will thought his heart might have stopped along with his held breath. Got him. They fucking got him. Sweet relief and utter amazement flooded him. Then a voice spoke clear and loud over the receiver. Freeze! Don't even twitch! Now lock your fingers behind your head and back out of the booth slowly. Slowly! Hands on the glass and spread them. Oh God, it's over. Jesus fucking Christ. Then, I'm not armed, Stan. A woman's voice, irritated but with a hint of worry. My ID's in my pocket. No other pocket. Hey! Watch where you're putting those hands. Will locked eyes with Alana. She was frowning just as much as he was, though Will knew his knuckles were white around the receiver. A confused voice followed, loud on the telephone. Who am I speaking to? Will Graham, he said quickly. FBI. This is Sergeant Stanley Riddle, Chicago PD, said an irritated voice. Can you tell me what the hell's going on here? You have a man in custody? Not exactly. Though sometimes I'll admit Freddie Lowndes has more balls than most of my men. Are you preferring charges against her? Will felt the color drain from his face. His hand was shaking. Alana was staring at him, rushing her hands back and forth across her neck. Don't store the hornet's nest, she was saying. Cut it off. Will thought he could make out a high-pitched whine as a constant in his hearing. Shaking his head did nothing to remove it. You're a coward, Mr. Graham. Can you hear me? the sergeant asked. Yes. He managed to grind out, strangled. Yes. I'm preferring charges. Obstruction of justice. Please take her into custody and hold her for the U.S. attorney. Then, suddenly, Freddie did the stupidest thing she could. She got a hold of the phone. Will, listen. She started fast, her normal, practical tone grating against his ears. Tell it to the U.S. attorney, Lowndes. Put Sergeant Riddle on the phone. I know something. 
She kept going as Jack walked into the room, a cordless handset in his right hand. His face was set, furious, though he was containing it with more finesse than Will, who proceeded to shout, Put Riddle on the goddamn telephone! I'll take it from here, Will, Jack said, his voice low and no-nonsense. Jack, Will warned, livid. Give me the call. He clicked the handset and was connected without preamble. Will listened as Jack spoke. Lounds, you have hubbed hell, my girl. Again, his vision seemed to dim. He thought he tasted blood, but there was none in his mouth. Will wondered if he was losing sense of himself completely. As he stood, grabbed the handset in its cradle, hauled it off the desk, snapping the wire from the wall as it went, popping the holders from their sockets. Snap, snap, snap and hurled the whole thing through into the conference room where they had been working. Alana stood to the side and watched, eyes wide, as it flew past her through the corridor, tumbling in the air as a graceless, tangled mess, until it collided with the far wall with a splintering crack and thump. Then he stormed out, long strides, weaving around the onlookers, head down in a blind rage. By the time he reached the projector room, he wasn't sure what he was doing there. Will took the time to close the door, lock it, and turn out the few lights which were on. There were no windows, he thought. His instincts must have steered him towards the closest room with no windows. The darkness swam around him, but his pulse wouldn't abate. He felt lightheaded, his spine tingled, and he wished he could shut out the words. You're a coward. I'm not, he spat. Shut up! Just shut up! Freddy lounged, the conniving, low-rent, miserable, vicious hack. He wanted to kill her. It was a plain, clear feeling with little complication. He wanted to kill her. In those few moments, he wondered briefly if he could, and whether he'd get away with it if he did. Easy to find the cheap motel she was surely renting. Places like that had no money to waste on CCTV. Wait till she was going out to her car, early morning or late night when the porter was asleep. Chloroform, duct tape, in the trunk, gone. He'd tired of something heavy so she didn't float. Coming down from the high left him feeling hollow. How close are you going to let yourself get? Will had no answer. He sat in the dark room and felt his pulse even out, his breathing calm and his nerves settle, even as he continued to think by means of a mind capable of murder. The wheels of the gurney shook beneath him, and his world was a mess of voices, pain, and irritation. Will Graham stared at the ceiling, his mouth clamped shut, and let the words and fluorescent lights wash over him in the bumps and crashes through swinging doors. Let's move! Is Orr too free? A doctor, viewed above him and upside down as Will lay. The nurse nodded in return. Who's on tonight? I've just come on shift. No time for handover. Hadrian and Lecter a nurse said as she jogged beside them. The name made Will tense. His side was jarred, the knife wound grinding in agony. He keened, unable to stop the reaction. Hadrian's already in theater, the anesthesiologist said as he walked swiftly by the bottom of the gurney. They'd been lucky to catch him as they barreled in at the change of shift, picking him up and adding them to their train carriage run to the OR. Then Paige Lecter ASAP, the doctor said as the nurse placed an oxygen mask over Will's face. I want him in here in five. I need an epidural and ten cc's of hyocene ready for bussing in. Hey, how are you with morphine? It took a repeat of the question for Will to realize he was the one being asked. Unclenching his jaw turned out to be a feat in and of itself. The nurse lifted the mask to let him speak. Makes me throw up, he murmured as they turned a tight corner. Then get me some butyrophenones for after wake up. Anything else we ought to know? Mm, on suppressants. Antrifodine, 80 blockers. Your Omega? The doctor asked. Will nodded weakly. Your time of the year? Will shook his head. Okay, then double the dose of the antiemetic suppressants mess with the system, and mix some oxycodone into the epidural, all right, Paul? The anesthesiologist nodded, his large eyes and droopy cheeks making him seem like an overly sad St. Bernard. Don't worry, Agent Graham. You're in good hands with Lecter. Christ. Why'd it have to be that goddamn prick? He finally managed, feeling faint as the blood loss continued to pump. What'd he say? 
the doctor asked as they burst into the OR. I think he's not keen on Dr. Lecter. The nurse looked bemused. Believe me, agent, you're lucky to have him. He's the best butcher in town. Now, let's get you up and unconscious. Arlene, ready? One, two, three. Going to sleep was easier than waking up. The anesthesia made for bad dreams, steered him towards the thoughts he would have avoided if he were conscious. It had been a bad case. A bad one. Will didn't like to see kids hurt, and these kids had been more than just hurt. Surviving the butchering of your entire family was bad enough, but to be the one forced to do the butchering was truly awful. In the end, the woman responsible, the delusional, psychotic bitch, had stood with the boy before her like a shield. Eyes vicious as she'd ranted to him under her breath. Shoot him, Tommy. He's not your friend. He's not your family. We're the only family you'll ever need. And then the sniper had her, down and out in a fountain of blood. Will had hurried forward and taken the gun from the boy, standing stock still and wide-eyed before the whole scene. He'd opened his mouth to tell the kid everything was going to be fine. Then the pain had registered. He hadn't expected the kid to have a knife. He was only nine years old. He hadn't expected him to have a knife, or be willing to use it. I just wanted you to be safe, he'd said. The child's blank stare said nothing in return. It seemed the mad woman, wounded and gasping on the ground, had been more of a mother to him than Will had believed possible. I'm sorry. He awoke with the words mumbled on his lips. Blinking his eyes shattered the dream back to where it should be, a memory. Will closed his eyes and swallowed. His mouth was dry and his throat hurt. He felt fuzzy, warm, a little lightheaded. Rolling his head to the right showed him the time through groggy eyes on a dull wall clock. Rolling his head to the left gave him a view of Hannibal Lecter seated next to his bed, using his bed table for paperwork. Will tried to gather some saliva and swallowed again. Hannibal looked up through his eyelashes as he sorted three sheets together, a rainbow of white, pink, and blue. Nightmares? He asked without preamble. The room seemed a little surreal with Lecter in it, warm and tight and hellish to deal with. Something in him forced compliance, something he wasn't able to think too much about. Will nodded and looked away when he realized he was staring into the man's eyes. Lecter looked tired but calm, always calm, he thought. His green surgeon scrubs were clean but rumpled, and Will thought he could smell coffee. Lecter appeared to be continuing with his paperwork. What are you doing here? I thought it would have been obvious. Lecter smiled subtly. When Will didn't reply, he continued, I was just about to go home, you see, when you decided to be dreadfully inconvenient and get yourself split open. I am making up for lost time. You've cost me a lot of paperwork. Wow. Will sniffed and tried to adjust himself on the bed. He didn't get very far. Somehow he'd ended up grateful, despite his misgivings. At least the man wasn't asking him about why he'd needed umpteen stitches, hours in surgery, and a blood transfusion. So much for bedside manner. Can't you just ask how I am and leave like a normal doctor? Actually, bedside manner wasn't top of my list. I was thinking more. Lecter pursed his lips and looked towards the bedstead. About why you have been utterly avoiding me for the past few weeks. You're... Wolf frowned and shook his head, irritated and bemused. You're really bringing this up? Right now? It is most rude of you to screen my calls. Trapped, Will thought wryly. Utterly trapped. He wondered how much damage he'd do himself if he tried to get up and drag himself to a wheelchair, make a quick escape. The grogginess made him lax. The surrealism of the situation took away his stubborn reticence. Suddenly, it didn't seem worth the effort. Will wondered how long he'd been in surgery. The suppressants would be wearing off. Will hated who he was without them. And Hannibal Lecter, cunning at best, had taken full advantage while leaving himself a gentleman's out. He was here for Will's benefit, enough that it would be rude to utterly ignore him. Not that Will would ever ignore him, not completely. The man was different, and that was all he had figured so far, because he didn't want to let it go any further than that. He was different than the run-of-the-mill alphas that normally sniffed around him with sharp smiles and possessive eyes. Far be it for Will to say Lecter was clearly interested in him, and far be it for Will to admit the man was, dare he say it, interesting. And also far be it for Will to admit that the idea of dinner which had been offered two weeks ago was tempting. Lecter had been both obviously and subtly eyeing him for weeks now, 
at work and out with. And truthfully, Will had been skeptical, partly out of habit, but also on recognizing a powerful, arrogant, pretentiously rich alpha when he saw one. Now, however, he was beginning to wane. You're not even going to ask, are you? Will goaded. Not unless you'd like to talk about your nightmares, Lecter replied smoothly. I never like to pry into the inner workings of a mind not open to scrutiny. I'm not screening your calls. Ah, then there is another reason you never answer. It's not a good idea. Oh? It's unprofessional. You should be familiar with that. It's kind of like you're being now. Actually, I am going beyond the call of duty for you, Mr. Graham. Will, please. Of course, Will. My shift ended. Lecter checked the watch in his pocket, by habit, Will thought. Considering the clock on the wall would surely have been easier. Six hours ago. I believe I have only had five hours of sleep in the past forty-eight hours, and am still suffering under the yoke of the FBI's need. And, of course, your cold shoulder. I merely wish you to understand that I am not your enemy, Mr. Gr Will. I merely wish to help. Silence. Will refused to be drawn in, even though he knew the thought was ineluctably futile. I heard you did not request my presence in the O.R. Again, that infuriating, subtle smile. I don't like to owe people favors. It is hardly a favor. This is my job. Ah. Will grimaced as he shifted his back, the pain in his left side flaring like wildfire. He swallowed and stayed perfectly still. I don't see you letting me away that easy. Hmm. Hannibal mused, his eyes serious. Perhaps not. He was staring. He knew he was staring, because he was able to see Hannibal staring at him in return, and then... <laughs> God! Will laughed mutedly, unable to stop the wide smile. Did one of your many degrees teach this? Intermediate guilt-tripping? Triggering the Omega Culpability Reflex 101? I prefer good old-fashioned gratitude. I thought this was just your job, Will replied wryly. Hannibal laughed, with teeth. The sound sent pleasant shivers up Will's spine. A week and a half later, he began the slippery slope of consulting Lecter on a professional basis. Will felt as if it were a self-fulfilling prophecy waiting to happen. The projector hummed in the background, over the top of the silent film. Will had turned down the sound. He'd been there for a couple of hours, was sure that everyone knew him well enough to know that he needed to be left alone to get past this. Those who didn't know would surely have been told. Alana would have seen to that. The lead stared back at him from the projector screen, the happy little window into their life framed by black shadow. Will sat, his fingers traced over his mouth, slumped in his chair as he watched. Strange. He felt strange watching it, as if another had done so before him. Did you watch them? Will knew he had, the tooth fairy. He'd watched them, chosen them, picked them out of a host of others. How did you choose them? There was no answer forthcoming. Will took a deep breath and watched Miss Leeds enter through the front door, shaking her hair of the rain clinging to the mousy brown strands. She laughed and put her hand up, trying to shield herself from the lens. Then she'd smiled, rolled her eyes, and posed for the camera. It was the day after Lowndes' call, and yet something had pulled him back here. Will liked to go with the pull. His instincts had never led him astray, even if where they had led him was never pleasant. The video reached its end, and the screen turned a virulent blue. Will picked up the remote and switched connectors. The Jacobis sprung to life on the screen, a parade of ghosts playing out life. He watched as the youngest boys leapt into a pool, their mother calling for them to be careful. There was something here, something he was missing. What did you see in them? The door opened behind him. Will didn't turn. The flicker of the projector continued unhindered. He felt more than saw Starling sit down in the seat next to him. He was just glad it wasn't Alana but was also surprised by the absence. He remembered when they'd been able to sit comfortably together. Joke. Laugh. Friends. He remembered her being there for him when he'd married, afraid that his side of the church would be barren beside Hannibal's lush garden of friends and family. He'd respected her for that, considering he knew how much she resented him for getting in the way, even though she'd never say it out loud. Seeing something I'm not? 
Starling asked after a while. Not unless you're seeing pink elephants instead of home movies. Did Jack get through to Derek Thompson? Mm-hmm, she said, eyes still fixed on the screen ahead. They're negotiating. Goddamn Tatler. Could it have been anything but? Hell, I'm beginning to think that after all this I should just sell up and leave the country. What would Eleanor think of that? Doesn't she have friends at home? It was a joke. Didn't sound funny to me. Eleanor's young. She can make new friends. And what about you? Friends have never been a necessity. That sounds optimistic. Anyway, wasn't exactly what I was getting at. How long have you been seeing him? What? It's just a question. Will felt stiff, unwilling. Jeff wasn't an easy topic. He's married. I noticed, Starling said. When Will looked at her sharply, she lifted her left hand. Saw his ring on the photograph in the Tatler. So how long have you been seeing him? It seemed like an inevitable roadblock. Will felt as if he were being forced to stare at all the ugly parts of his personality. You're a coward, Mr. Graham. About two and a half years, on and off, he said, eyes on the film. Mostly off. Okay. That's not helpful. I didn't know you wanted my verdict. I don't. He's married. We're not really a thing. Oh? I was speaking to Marquez. She told me his wife came to collect their son a couple of days back. But he's still here, she said. Sounds like it might be a thing to me. Thought I didn't want your verdict. Sure, Starling said, though she looked vindicated as she sat back in her chair. Course you don't. The door opening cut their conversation short. Will looked up to find Jack walking in with no compunction. He knew Jack could sense the tension, but Crawford was good at overriding other people's crap. For once, Will was glad for it. He sat down to Will's right, leaving him sandwiched. Find anything? Nope, Will said, pausing the lead's home movie as it focused on the dog. The dog they'd never found. Okay, then let me fill you in on what's happening on the 25th. Jack didn't need to tell Will that the 25th would bring the next full moon. You mean when he does it again? Exactly. Both times it's been a Saturday night. Birmingham, June 28th. A full moon falling on a Saturday night. It was July 26th in Atlanta. That's one day short of a full moon, but also a Saturday night. This time the full moon falls on Monday, August 25th. He likes the weekend, though, so we're ready from Friday on. Ready? Will looked at him, frowning. We're ready? Correct. You know how it is in the textbooks. The ideal way to investigate a homicide? I never saw it done that way, Will said. It never turns out like that. No, hardly ever, Jack admitted. It would be great to be able to do it, though. Send one guy in, a crime scene left untouched. No police feet and hands all over our evidence. Just one. Let him go over the place. He's wired, dictating all the time. He gets the place absolutely cherry for as long as he needs. Just him. Just you. Will drew in a long breath. What the hell are you playing at, Jack? Starting the night of Friday the 22nd, we have a groom in Gulfstring standing by at Andrews Air Force Base. I borrowed it from Interior. The basic lab stuff will be on it. We stand by. Me, you, Zeller, Katz, and Price. A photographer, and two people for interrogations. Soon as the call comes in, we're on our way. Anywhere in the east or south, we can be there in an hour and fifteen. What about the locals? Will asked, still frowning. He didn't like where this was going. They don't have to cooperate. They won't wait. We're blanketing the chiefs of police and the sheriff's departments. Every one of them. We're asking orders to be posted at the dispatcher's consoles and the duty officer's desks. No. No way. They'll never hold off. It's too much to ask. They couldn't. This is what we're asking. It's not so much. We're asking that when a report comes in, the first officers at the scene go in and look. Medical personnel go in and make sure no one's left alive. They come back out. Roadblocks, interrogations go on. Everything else. But the scene. That's sealed off till we get there. We drive up. You go in. You're wired. You talk it out to us when you feel like it. Don't when you don't. Take as long as you like. Then we come in. The locals won't wait. Starling shook her head. And we're not exactly trying our best for preventative measures. Waiting for the next one. What's that going to get us? It'll get Will to the scene fresh. Fresh. 
Wolf tilted his head back against the chair and smiled acidly. Ah, Jack. Jack what? Crawford asked gruffly. You kill me. You really do. I don't follow you. He tried for innocence. Yes, you do. What you've done? Will shook his head. Couldn't you just ask? You've decided to use me as bait because you don't have anything else. So before you pop the question, you pump me up about how bad the next time will be. Not bad psychology, he said, his smile turning wry. To use on a fucking idiot. Will, don't take this. I'm not. You know I'm not. Because you know I'll do it. And Christ, I will. I will do it. Because we don't have anything else, and I can't go home as long as the sky's loose. I never doubted you would, Jack said, though he didn't relax. Will watched him till Crawford began looking a little tense. It's something more than, isn't it? Jack said nothing. No, Ellie. No way. Jack said, cold. Jesus, Will. Even I wouldn't ask you that. Will stared at him for a moment. Oh, for Christ's sake, Jack. You've decided to play ball with Freddy Lowndes, haven't you? You and little Freddy have cut a deal. You know yourself it's the best way to bait him. He's watching the tattler, waiting for Lecter's reply. Instead of trying to fake it, let's draw him out with what we've got, instead of what we haven't. It has to be Lowndes, Will asked through a tight jaw. She has the corner on the tattler. So I badmouth the tooth fairy and the tattler, and then we give him a shot. You think it's better than the mail drop? Don't answer that. I know it is. Shit. Have you talked to Bloom about this? I know Alana will agree with me. <laughs> no, you don't. Will said, laughing bitterly. She'll shoot you down in flames, which is why you're not going to tell her. You got me all figured out, huh? I've got most people figured out. Like I had Freddy figured from the minute I saw she'd sneaked into my damn hospital room after Ellie was born and taken photos of me while I was drugged out of my damn skull. The bitch has no conscience. And if you want me to work with her, I won't be able to make it easy for you. I didn't say you had to kiss and make up. She wrote me up, Jack. She wrote me up for the whole fucking nation to see, all right? I was going through enough without that on my plate. He knew he was beginning to rant, his voice rising. The last thing I need was for everyone to know I'd lost my damn mind. How do you think I lost Ellie in the first place? Lecter's family would never have known without her. Lounge has that on her conscience. Or she would, if she had one. Sorry, I think I might be missing something, Starling said in a blunt but blank tone. Will appreciated it. It lacked judgment. It's nothing. Will bit out, drawing in a deep breath to try and calm himself. Ask Alana if you really need to know. I don't think I can stomach talking about it. He turned to Jack. Give me a minute. Okay. Jack nodded, understanding. Come back in half an hour. We'll go over the basics. Will left them together, hoping Jack would fill Starling in. He couldn't even think about going over that old ground. Alana wouldn't be happy about this when she found out. If she found out. He had to admit, he wasn't too hot on the idea either. He wouldn't piss on Freddie Lowndes if she was on fire. It had been a hot summer evening. He'd been 21. A great age to be young, free, and single. And employed. The party hadn't been what his friends would have said was swinging. Too many men in frumpy suits and women in pearls. But then Jeff hadn't gone for the good time. The Oceanographic Institute had offered him a junior position as a researcher, and this fundraiser was just a link in the chain. It's what he thought at the time. Good people, good positions. Plenty of opportunity later for good times. Then he'd met Susan Janus. Half high and bubbly and the adrenaline of meeting people who held his future in their hands, they'd bumped into each other on the veranda with the smokers. At the time, Jeff had still craved nicotine, left over from his student days, enough to convince himself he still looked great doing it. Like James Dean with his smokes crumpled in his jacket pocket. Need a light? She'd asked as he patted down his pockets. Yeah, thanks, he said smiling. Want one? I don't smoke. Coming away from the party with her number had seemed like another tenuous step forward into adult life. The next day, they'd met up for dinner, then drinks, then back to his place to screw like rabbits and remind him of being young. Then dating. 
She was quick-minded and witty and gorgeous, and she liked to play dumb and say stupid things, and then back out of them, and her laugh was infectious. And meeting at work, she didn't take anyone's crap, and she loved what she did, and Jeff thought he loved her too. And moving in together. Their first apartment had been a box with windows over a bakery, and they'd piled in with their furniture and the experimental marine testing equipment Jeff was working on, and Susan's company car, and not a care in the world. And promotions. They'd celebrated with cheap champagne on his boat in the bay, and dreamed of a house by the ocean. And looking through adoption papers. Anthony had tugged at his heartstrings. Poor little kid, abandoned at six months. No one left willing to take him. And marriage down on the beach with their toes in the sand, his mom and dad sitting on fold-out chairs, his sister and her kids watching them as they smiled, and kissed and exchanged vows of forever and ever. And moving to the Keys, and he and Susan fought and made up and fought and made up, and Jeff grew to understand what it was to be with someone, even if it wasn't what he'd always dreamed it would be. He had everything he should have wanted, everything he'd told himself he'd ever wanted, everything everyone else had ever wanted for him and now he couldn't get Will Graham out of his head. Beautiful, tortured, blindingly intelligent, funny, sexy as hell, fragile, introverted, loyal, sharp, strong, Will Graham had dropped into his life like a stone into a pond. The ripples had distorted the clear image of what he should want, what he did want, what everyone else wanted for him, making reality into fantasy and back again, and Jeff had allowed himself to fall. He felt responsible, it was odd, weird almost. Saving Will's life had tied them together with a messy, knotted string that Jeff couldn't untangle. He felt responsible for saving him from himself. If he'd died, he wouldn't have had to put up with the life you'd saved for him. Jeff had always thought, You did this. You better fucking fix it. Only this hadn't been the fix he'd expected. Getting the man drunk and sleeping with him wasn't going to solve anything. Well, a few things, but not good things. Stupid, petty things. Will's eyes always stared right into him when they actually took the time to find his and hold the stare. Jeff hadn't ever felt something like that before. A strong connection. A need to be with someone so strong that it overrode his own morality. Yet still, the guilt ate at him, and bit at him, and castigated him. Only he couldn't let up. His roommate in halls at college had been a real player. Nice guy, but couldn't help himself. Or that's the excuse he'd given, and Jeff had never bought it. Such a cop-out. Such an easy excuse. He had half a dozen girlfriends at any one time. I'd never be that guy, Jeff had told himself. It all seemed so simple, until you were that guy. Jeff walked to Will's house from the back door, along the sand, as evening drew in. It had been easier to stay away during the day after the night before, with the memory of Will's taste in his mouth as the sun shone high and Jeff reminded himself that he was happily married with a kid and he sure as hell didn't need to throw that all away for the first piece of ass that showed any interest in him. Then evening had rolled around, and convincing himself became the opposite. Damned unconvincing. And he'd been forced to admit that his life wasn't all roses and firefly nights, and he was probably just as much to blame for he and Susan drifting apart as she was. And she was still away on research. And Will Graham still lived next door. And all he had to do was go over there and tell him it was a mistake, and this couldn't go anywhere. And it would be fine. Everything would be sorted. Will was sat on his back porch when Jeff approached, Eleanor sitting up on his knee as she spoke nonsense words and waved her arms. Seeing them together should have been a moment of triumph. he waited so long. They'd worked so hard just for this. And yet... Now all he could think was that Will would be far better off without Jeff's problems on top of all the shit he had to deal with in his life. The last thing Will Graham needed, he was sure, was Jeff Milo falling in love with him. Then Will looked up at him and smiled. Reasoning and logic made a swift exit. Jeff knew he was going to have to live with it. Will's face was soft and fond. He looked happy, Jeff thought. Then he changed his mind. No, not happy. Content utterly content. Do you want to hold her? And the night before, all drinks and lips and bright hot touches seemed both as nothing and as everything. Jeff looked away towards the ocean. Looking back only made him feel like an absolute shit. Want him. His conscience goaded. Don't you? 
Well, you can't damn well have him. Yeah, he said, smile barely a tick at the edge of his mouth. Yeah, I do. No, up a little, and pull your shoulder back, here. Bell reached forwards and adjusted Jeff's arm, like that. It's the isometric tension in the arms that makes the weaver stamp strong, and you need your left foot slightly forwards. Yeah, like that. Try it again. Bang, 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 bang. The rest of the clip was emptied into the sheet until the hole shone through. A decent clustering with a few strays. Will took the twenty-two caliber revolver when Jeff handed it to him, careful of the hot muzzle. The shooting range had been empty when they'd arrived. A few more folks had come in since then, those who knew how to use them. Will could tell that they were off-duty cops from their stance. A red-haired woman with a stern face and a tall, thin black guy with his own piece. Will remembered the days he'd come to the range and not had to loan out a weapon from the range master. The sound of the silhouette sheet rolling in caught his attention. Not bad, Jeff said through a strained, almost smile, as he looked at his results up close. For an amateur. I'm pretty sure I took out a few lights in a window on my first go, Will said, trying for levity, as he put his finger through the holes in the silhouette sheet's sternum. Don't think I'd be that steady if there was an actual human in front of me. You won't need to be. Then why'd you bring me here? I... Will hesitated, drawing in a long breath. It's just a precaution. We should go again. If you shot someone like this with a twenty-two, it would take a week to bring them down. Sounds like you know what you're talking about. Yeah, Will said stiffly. I guess I do. Jeff didn't ask him to elaborate, and Will appreciated it. They went again, this time on the dummies. Will thought maybe a solid, three-dimensional figure might click something in Jeff. Let him see if the guts were strong enough in him. For what it was worth, Jeff hesitated only a few seconds before firing. He didn't stop till the trigger was clicking empty, just like Will had taught him. You don't stop firing till he's on the ground, okay? They practiced drawing and shooting. Will gave Jeff his holster and had a little fun strapping him into it. He thought he deserved a little fun, at least. Can I call this sexual harassment, Agent Graham? Jeff had murmured through a smile as Will's hands had skimmed his sides and chest, messing with the straps. Will had kissed the bare patch of skin on the back of his neck above his shirt and told him to shoot straight. Drawing and firing caused a few problems with aim. Ones with Jeff had laughed off, but Will hadn't been able to see the humor in, mainly because the reason he'd brought him here was to make sure he could take down any of the dangerous beasts Will had drawn into his world. He missed the first three. The fourth went into the pole the dummy was strapped to. The fifth and sixth hit the thigh, and the rest started the sandbags behind. Jesus, I said shoot straight, Will muttered when they'd gone over to investigate. Not spray it. Doing my best, Jeff said, amused by his own inadequacy. Will knew he didn't look impressed, because Jeff laughed a little awkwardly when he looked at him. <laughs> uh, come on, give me a break. This is the first time I've even held a gun. Never mind fired one. It's not that funny. Yeah, I can see that. Jeff frowned. There was a pause. Why'd you bring me here, Will? Will ignored that question. Let's try the glassers. The range master said it'd be all right. The next round seemed to take the wind out of Jeff's sails. Will wasn't proud of it. The earmuffs were the first clue. They made Jeff restless, twitchy on the trigger. The gun wasn't pretty. A bulldog, 44 special. The gaping muzzle made it seem like a cannon more than a gun. It had sat like a dirty secret in Will's closet, trapped in a felt-lined case for six years. The gun he'd used to carry after Hobbs. It was one hell of a mean pistol, but then he'd wanted it to be. Needed it to be. It had taken him twelve bullets to down Hobbs with his standard issue twenty-two, the psycho grinning like a Cheshire cat as his daughter lay bleeding at his feet, and Will blew his ribcage apart. After that, Will had kept the bulldog in his second holster at the waist, a round of glasser safety slugs in each chamber. The rounds were overkill, Crawford had said. Will knew it, but no one had the balls to question him. Each contained number 12 shot, suspended in liquid Teflon. It was designed to fly at tremendous speed, smashing the blunt-ended rounds into the target and releasing the shot like shrapnel. And meat test dummies, the results were devastating designed to down a man in one shot and no more.
The first one Jeff fired tore a hole in the dummy the size of a cantaloupe. Jeff seemed to lower the weapon on instinct, taking off his safety glasses and simply staring at it. He pulled off his earmuffs and left them to dangle around his neck. Will did the same. Fuck, Jeff said, turning to Will. What the hell am I taking down here? A bull? Let's hope not. What are these for? Christ, Will! Thought I told you not to stop till they're down. A hole like that? Jeff looked appalled. No one's gonna keep coming with a chunk out of them you could shove a fist into. Seen it happen. Will was steering dangerously close to bad territory. He could feel the tension in his fingers. You're kidding me. I don't joke about this kind of thing. Waste the whole clip, kid. The whole thing, okay? Like hell. There'll be nothing left. Kind of the point. Will, I'm not going to blow some poor sucker apart just because... Just because what, huh? Will said angrily. Jeff stalled, gun still in hand. I shocked. When he didn't reply, Will took him by the shoulders and spun him round, facing the dummy. He came up behind him, hands roughly taking hold of Jeff's, raising the gun. His voice was low and dark as he spoke into his ear. Because you can't stand the thought of taking a life? What's a life worth to you? A stranger? Not a lot, I guess. What about Anthony? He felt Jeff tense in his hold, tried to lower the gun. Will held it fast. What about that fucking maniac going after your little boy? Tooth Fairy likes taking families in a neat package. Likes putting bullets in kids' skulls. Would you shoot then? How about your wife? He's not picky. Alive, dead, he likes to touch the skin. Likes to fuck them warm or cold. Would you? Without the earmuffs, the shots were blindingly loud. Bang, 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 bang. They went on until Will could feel Jeff's fingers still clicking the empty trigger. He couldn't hear the click for the ringing in his ears. The dummy looked like a ragged scarecrow once he was done, spilling sand like blood, hanging rags torn like skin. Will found he'd stood back on instinct. Jeff had lowered the gun, but he was still holding it, facing away. His knuckles were white around the grip. Will didn't dare touch him. He drove them back to the house in silence. Jeff stared out of the window, curled hand to his mouth. Will didn't want to ask for forgiveness. He didn't think he deserved it.